Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to be today. Have you ever uh, been reading through the Bible and you come across a verse and you just stop and go, wait a minute. Wait, what was that? What did I just read? <laughs> you ever like hit a, hit a passage of scripture and go, why didn't you like spell it out just a little bit better? Like, like, like you can't just say that and stop. Listen for this in, in, in Luke 24. I'm actually going to read the whole, um, I'm going to read the whole passage uh, up until chapter 35, or verse 35. So if you're, if you're there, and then we're just going to focus on, on verses 1 to 12 this morning. But I think this is such a great, great story as Luke 12 tells it to us. So listen for that. Why didn't he say more? But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them as an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, and stooping and looked in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. And that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad, and one of them named Clopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which he was going. 
He acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him to strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day now is far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour, returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord is risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them by the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. So there's a few things in there that I just go, oh, oh come on, Luke. Can you, go, like, can you just fill us in a little bit more on this? So Jesus says, oh, it didn't, isn't this what, you know, was all, all the way through Scripture? And then Luke just says, and then he began to teach them uh, from the law and the prophets and all the writings, everything concerning himself. And then he moves on. It's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Like the biggest Bible lesson you could ever have was happening. And Luke just says, yeah, he told them some stuff and moves on. Doesn't tell us what he said. Wouldn't it be nice to have sat in on that Bible study with Jesus telling you exactly what the Bible said about him? But Luke just kind of, Tells us it happened. And it happens later too, right? You get down to uh, verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now verse 44. Everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. It's like, he's like, okay, everything in the Old Testament pointed to me. And, and, and then Luke just doesn't give us anything of what Jesus said about all of those passages of scripture. He's like, he didn't give us like the, okay, like let's start in Genesis and let's just move our way through. He just gives us this hint that it's there. And I think, why does he do that? <laughs> like sometimes I, I, I wonder, I, I wonder sometimes, you know, this is just me being weird. Um, just, you know, the Holy Spirit and Luke are sitting down to write the Bible, right? To write this gospel and the book of Acts. And Luke's writing down and he's got all these sources and all these interviews that he's done and he's, he's coming up with a coherent, good, solid narrative of all the things that had happened so that Theophilus could be certain of the, the truth of the faith. And, and he gets to this part and he's like, and Jesus got into this big Bible study with him and the Holy Spirit's like, no, 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 don't tell him anything. Just leave it at that. That's good enough. Because then they'll have to look for it themselves. Because faith takes time to grow. It doesn't happen all at once. If we knew absolutely everything, it, it would be too easy, and that's not faith. Faith takes time. And you may be here this morning in this whole resurrection thing, you're just thinking, well, that's, just, that's just crazy. Like, I have never yet, in 26 years of church ministry, had somebody phone me up saying, hey, you know that funeral we planned? We'll just cancel it. You know, it's all good. He got better. No, that's never happened. This resurrection thing, how do you believe this? How, how do you really believe this? Faith takes time to grow. The disciples didn't believe it. It, it, took, them a, it took them time to come to terms with this reality, didn't it? 
Like you've got, you've got a group of, of, of women who, who, you know, Luke only tells us part of the story. You put the whole picture together and it's like, Mary Magdalene, she actually saw Jesus. Jesus actually spoke with her. They go back and they tell the apostles this and they're like, yeah, whatever. It doesn't happen. Faith takes time. Faith needs to grow. Let's go back to uh, chapter 24 in the first few verses here. The first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. What were they expecting to find? Dead body. Because when you have seen, these are the same women, okay? You go back just a few verses. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed. They saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Not just where, but how. Go back a few more verses. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee, this is repeated, stood at a distance watching these things at the cross. They knew everything that happened. They had seen the bloodied, horrible, messy, whipped and shredded body of Jesus Christ stumbling and having to get Simon of Cyrene to carry the crossbeam for him. They saw the soldiers nail him to the cross. They saw the whipping. They saw the mocking. They saw the soldier pierce the side of Christ and water and blood float. They saw it all. They had no expectation of finding an empty tomb. That doesn't happen. They expected to find a body. Second verse, what did they find and what did they not find? They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Remember, they saw how he was buried, where he was buried. They knew exactly where it was. They found the stone rolled away. These would have been massive stones. Impossible to move without help. Some of the other gospels tell us that that's a question they have in the gospel of Mark. They're heading toward the tomb, but they're going, ah, who's gonna roll the stone away for us? It's big, it's heavy. But they found it removed. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They did not find his body. Now, interestingly, something I only discovered last night They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. This is the only time in the Gospels where it says the Lord Jesus as a compound title for Christ. Doesn't happen anywhere else in the Gospels. This is the first time it's from the pen of Luke. This is the first time at this empty tomb and it signifies that Jesus is now the exalted and risen Lord, he is the Lord, the Kyrios, the Lord Jesus. They expected to find a body, they find an empty tomb. And then what did they hear while they were perplexed about this? Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And Luke loves to parallel things between acts and his gospel. And we saw this a little bit on Good Friday because the words of Stephen and the words of Jesus on the cross are the same 
Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Lord Jesus, don't hold this sin against them. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Lord Jesus, into your hands I commit my spirit. Uh, Stephen and, and Jesus are saying the same things. And here, Luke is again drawing a parallel. Where does this remind us of? Reminds us of Acts chapter 1 and verse 10. Two men, as, as the apostles are looking up and Jesus has ascended, two men in dazzling white apparel appear to them beside them and they ask a question and they offer a declaration and in a way they lay, lay a rebuke on the people too. In both passages, here it's a question, a declaration, and a rebuke. Why do you seek the living among the dead? A question. Leading question. What are you looking for? Why are you even here? <laughs> he is not here, but he has risen. This is a passive verb. He has been raised. Divine action has happened here. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise. It's the question, the declaration, and then the rebuke. Remember, remember, this is not just kind of recall facts to action, but remembering in a biblical sense is to recall the past to define the present. So take that past reality and it's going to define your present. Remember what he said to you that he would die, be crucified, and rise again. And he said this all when he was in Galilee. You have to turn back to Luke chapter 9. Because in Luke 9, 51, Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem. But before this, he tells the disciples twice in chapter 9, verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And then again, Verse 44, let these words sink into your ears, Jesus says. That's one we should just memorize, I think. <laughs> Anytime you open the Bible, let this word sink into my ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Now, this is interesting, but they did not understand this saying. And it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So many times in Jesus' life and ministry, they get to a point where Jesus says some pretty, like from our perspective, some pretty straight up stuff, right? I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be killed. I will rise on the third day. Don't understand. No idea what that means. But notice what Luke says here, and John says this a number of times in his gospel too. They didn't understand, not because they were dumb, because it was deliberately kept from them for this time. Often it says, in John it'll say, that we didn't understand this until after he ascended, after the Holy Spirit came. And John's gospel tells us over and over, you know, the Holy Spirit would come so that it would remind them of all that Jesus had said and done and bring to their minds the things that he had said, and then they would have understanding. You can't understand the words of Jesus really, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
It doesn't make sense otherwise. Paul in 1 Corinthians said, the cross, the cross is nuts. This whole crucifixion thing, it's a stumbling block for, for, for the Jews because the Messiah wasn't supposed to die. And it's completely crazy for the Greeks because what kind of leader willingly dies rather than raises a rebellion? It doesn't make sense. Jesus doesn't make sense apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Verses 8 and 9. They remembered his words. They returned from the tomb. They told, declared, proclaimed. It's an official declaration. He uses a different word a little later on, but this is like an official declaration to the apostles and all the others who are there. These women come and they say, this is the reality. He has been raised and this is what he told us before. They are declaring the message from the angels reminding them of what Jesus had already said so that every one of them could understand and believe what had happened. They were told. The word here means, is, is a favorite of Luke's. He uses it a number of times, uh, more than any other New Testament author, and it is, is a declaration of the accounting of a miracle. It is a report of God's message. And these are the first messengers of the resurrection and of the power of God, these women. And then Luke takes the time. He didn't have to do this. Luke takes the time. He's already told us a number of times, the women that followed from Galilee, the women that followed from Galilee, he's told us like three times now. And now he names them. Verse 10, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Why does he list names? We've met these women all the way back in chapter eight. They've been with Jesus the whole journey. Chapter 8 and verse 1, soon afterward, he went through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means." Mary Magdalene's always named first. But what is Luke doing here? In Deuteronomy 19:15 and numerous times throughout the law, it says every every truth claim to stand up in a court of law must be supported by two or three witnesses. He names three individuals. 
in a culture where this would not be accepted at all. Because in the culture of the time, women's testimony was not accepted. But here is Luke who has throughout his gospel said over and over and over, it is the least, it is the unexpected, it's the upside down kingdom. And he names the first three messengers of the good news that Jesus is alive. Mary and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and others. Three witnesses plus who told these things to the apostles. This is what they declared. But how is that received? But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. A lepos, that which is devoid of anything worthwhile. They just didn't believe it. You see, faith takes time. Faith takes time. They experienced rejection, but eventually belief would follow. The first messengers experienced a rejection of the message, and this is an encouragement to all of us as we try to share our faith with people. Don't expect people to get it the first time. We need patience. We need persistence. And we need hope that God will take his word and he will see to it that people understand when it's time. Peter rose, ran to the tomb, stooping. He looked in and he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. And this is one of Luke's favorite words. It's just amazed, dumbfounded, I don't know what to make of it. It's not until Jesus comes to Peter personally that he gets it. And that takes time too. See, faith takes time. Growing in faith takes time. It takes hearing the message, investigating the evidence, encountering Christ. Encountering Christ was crucial. It wasn't just belief and information. It was about encountering Jesus himself and then trusting. And that's, we see this in the road to Emmaus. We see this with Peter. We see this with the other apostles. You can read about it in all the gospels. They doubted before they believed. Doubt's okay. Questioning is okay. Pursue it. Allow it to do its work. Peter didn't believe, even though he saw the empty tomb. He just went away dumbfounded. Daryl Bach in the NIV application commentary says this, followers of Jesus came to believe slowly, even reluctantly. You look at that, despite an empty tomb, despite recalling Jesus' words, belief is challenging for them. As the next account, which is unique to Luke in the road to Emmaus, proves. And so if you're questioning keep questioning. If you're doubting, keep pursuing that doubt. Do some deep homework on this. If you need a good like 900 page book on it, N.T. writes The Resurrection of the Son of God, it's huge. 
looks at the historical, theological, the, the cultural realities of the first century and says there is only one explanation for what happened. And that is the actual resurrection of Christ. C.S. Lewis, I think this is one of the first things he tried to disprove. If we can disprove the resurrection, the whole thing falls apart. And Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 15. C.S. Lewis went to try to disprove the resurrection, the existence of Jesus, and he just couldn't do it. And became a passionate follower of Christ. Take a look. Pursue it. And for those of us who are trying to share our faith with others, I love what Daryl Box says here. We need patience when sharing our faith. The resurrection is difficult, if not impossible, to believe based on fact or argument. A work of God in the Holy Spirit and an encounter with Jesus Christ is necessary. Jesus is alive. And faith takes time to grow. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says this. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart of man has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows the thoughts except the Spirit of the person within him? So also no one can comprehend the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. It takes the work of God. And while Paul gives lots of evidence in 1 Corinthians 15 for the resurrection, it still takes an act of God in our hearts. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 10. We'll close with this this morning. The resurrection of Jesus. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe, but it's so great that in every one of the Gospels, the account shows us that it was the last thing that anybody expected, even those who had been with Jesus his entire ministry. It's the last thing they thought would happen. They expected to find a dead body. They found an empty tomb. They heard the message and were reminded of Jesus' own words during his ministry. And then they declared this message to others. And while they experienced, the women experienced the rejection of the message by their fellow travelers with Jesus, they still delivered the message. And eventually, because faith takes time, Belief was born. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-10. Now I would remind you, brothers, of this gospel that I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, 
and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, again. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Even Paul, who violently opposed the movement that Jesus started to the point of having Stephen killed, having letters written to go and persecute the church and to take people uh, and, and put them in prison and have them beaten and flogged. Even Paul didn't want to believe in the resurrection. And it wasn't the information that changed his mind. It was an actual experience with Jesus. But he too grew in faith because he heard. He heard the word. He investigated the truth. Then in encountering Jesus, he came to a deep belief and trust. Faith takes time. Pursue your doubts, pursue your questions, and have patience if you're sharing your faith with others. The resurrection is difficult to believe. A work of the Holy Spirit and an encounter with Jesus is necessary. Let's pray. Lord, we look at this concept, this claim that Jesus rose from the dead and, and he appeared to these guys on the road to Emmaus and, at the, and he traveled with them and he talked with them and he had supper with them and I don't know how long he was with them that day but you also managed to appear to Peter that same day and we read in John's gospel that the apostles are hiding in fear and you come, even though the door is locked and you stand right in their midst. And we read that as you broke the bread and gave it to these men in the, at, at Emmaus, you, they, as soon as they recognized you, you disappeared from sight. And, and yet you say things like, give me a piece of fish so I can eat it here right in front of you. And there's something so uniquely different about the resurrected Jesus. Physical and yet radically different than anything we've experienced and we have so much trouble believing this. Or we try to put it in terms we can understand and it just can't bear the weight of it all. And so Lord Jesus, wherever we're at today, whether we just don't believe this at all, that it's just a made up story, or whether we believed it for so long, it's just become routine, Lord, challenge us to just see the wonder and the beauty and to 
even as Peter, just be amazed. And then, Lord, as we search your word, as we wrestle with these truths, may you draw near to us so that as the disciples from Emmaus said afterwards, oh, weren't our hearts burning within us? Lord, we need an encounter with you. We need the person and the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives and our minds so that we can understand this radical truth that is so unbelievable. And yet it is the thing that Christianity stands or falls on. It is the radical upside-down thing of a religious leader who sacrificed himself, who raised no army, who didn't combat Rome, who died a criminal's death, who was raised to life, and with just a handful of people, changed the world and is still changing the world. Lord, help us to stand absolutely amazed at the empty tomb. And do work in us so that we would believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. That you are the resurrection and the life and those who believe in you will live even though they die. That you are the light of the world and if we follow you, we will no longer be in darkness but we'll have the light of life. That you are the bread of life and if we follow you, we will never hunger or thirst for significance or for a place in this world or for meaning that just is fleeting. Lord, that you gave your only son so that whoever might believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That you are the resurrection and the life and you will raise us up on the last day and we will stand before your throne on that last day and give an account for how we lived our lives. And then it's all down to whether or not our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Our deeds will matter a whole lot less than how we have responded to the reality of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, help us to embrace the challenge to follow you, to question our doubts, to pursue an encounter with you. Holy Spirit, take this word today. Take your word of the resurrection and may it bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen.